Hello, my conscious soul. This is Jay Wynn. Welcome to the Conscious Chess Podcast, where we bring inspiring individuals living purposeful lives in the hope of inspiring you to be your best authentic self. This is episode number 27 with Martin Sauer. Martin is the author of The Other Side of Success, Many and Meaning in the Golden State. His memoir about not only selling big buildings, but asking life's big questions. After leaving the world of commercial real estate mega deals in San Francisco and LA, he committed himself to writing and helping others execute business and life strategies. You can reach Martin via contact form on www.martinsauer.com. In this episode, we discussed the steps Martin took in finding success in his life. Here's my interview with Martin. Thank you for being on the show, Martin. So normally I would start up my show with a bit of your personal history, who you are, where you grew up, and what were your early years were like. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Jay. Uh, I was born in a little town in Wisconsin. Uh, my parents were immigrants from Ukraine after the mm. Second World War. And I was actually conceived in a DP camp in Austria, but then birthed on U.S. soil. So I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, I attended a Jesuit Catholic high school Mm. where I learned far more than I did in college. And then I moved to Chicago and eventually moved to California, uh, where I spent most of my adult life in the San Francisco Bay Area and in Los Angeles. Uh, I held down a conventional job for a few years. And then when I was almost 30 years old, I quit my job. My my wife at that time was pregnant. I was Mm. uh, dead broke. Mm. I hated what I did. So I got a real estate license and I got into commercial real estate and investment sales as a broker. And then later as an operator and developer Mm. and negotiating large transactions, what I call mega deals, uh, high-rise office buildings, shopping malls, technology parks uh, Mm -hmm. in California and on the West Coast. About eight years ago, I got out of the business and I started to write and do mentoring and just recently published uh, The Other Side of Success, Money and Meaning in the Golden State, which is uh, my memoir. What is the what is the definition? What's the story behind it? The Other Side of Success? Well, as, as the title implies, uh, mm-hmm. there is success, and then there is the cost of that success and mm-hmm. uh, the toll it exacts. And so my memoir is not just a business bio mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, it's all uh, fun and games or there are, there are some setbacks, but it really gets into my personal life, mm-hmm. family, uh, things like that. And you mentioned earlier that when you were 30 years old, you quit your job and you started doing something different. What made you quit your job and wanted to do something different or wanted to take a different path? Well, about 10 years earlier, when Mm -hmm. I was, uh, I just graduated from high school and I moved from this small town in Wisconsin to Chicago Mm -hmm. and I needed to make money for college. So I worked uh, in selling fuller brush products uh, door to door on the northwest side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I had a great mentor and uh, I learned a lot that summer, uh, most everything I needed to learn about selling. Mm-hmm. So I kind of packed that away and I, I did very well. I was the number one part-time salesman you know, in the Chicago area. 
Mm -hmm. uh, 10 years later, I just I kind of um, uh, recalled that and channeled my mentor and said, you know, I can, I can sell, I can do this again, I can be my mm -hmm. own boss and not have to work for anybody. Mm -hmm. And so that's the chance I took. And what sort of, um, when you made that decision that you wanted to work for yourself, um, what are the hardships or struggles along the way? And how did you manage to tackle them? Well, I'd, I'd like to tell you I had some secret, but uh, the best way I can describe it is the Japanese proverb. Mm. Fall down seven times, get up eight. Mm. It was a trial and error. Uh, I, but to my to my benefit, mm -hmm. uh, I was not hesitant to, to almost try anything mm. and see if it worked. And uh, well, put skin in the game, which is one of the big themes of my book, where you put something at risk. Mm -hmm. So the risk of uh, of not performing is not only is that uh, you can't put uh, food on the table, you can't support your family and mm -hmm. a whole bunch of other bad consequences. And that gets you up in the morning. Mm. In terms of saying this, what are the steps you took in finding success in material world and also in your internal world? Uh, when I look back on what I was doing, mm -hmm. uh, sort of after the fact, while you're doing it, it's like driving in the fog at night. You you can get to your destination, but <laughs> anything mm. can happen. Uh, but I would set like tangible goals. Mm. Um, I wanted to accomplish so much or do this by the end of the year or make so much money. And if I met that, then I raised the stakes. Uh, if I didn't meet it, then I reevaluated the goal. And if necessary, I changed the goal. So within the field of commercial real estate, which is all real estate except residential, mm. single family homes and condos, um, I was a broker at first, and then I kind of burned out on that and then became an operator where I put deals together, bring in investors. And then uh, life circumstances dictated that then became a developer, uh, mm. uh, creating projects from the ground up. Mm -hmm. And I had a partner for that. And we did some major projects in San Francisco. Uh, and uh, this was during the, the great financial crisis. And then wow. things really got interesting. Mm. You need to read the book to find out what happened. Yeah. And um, so after you mentioned that you become a uh, property developers and in the investing sector, uh, now you're a mentor. So also, again, what made you dive into it, into mentoring and also start writing books? And uh, what was your was it your calling or? Uh I can't say it was my calling, just like uh, I got into real estate, not because, you know, I had a passion for it mm. or, you know, wanted to do it since I was a kid. Mm. I just hated my job. Yeah. And real estate represented high value assets and the commission seemed big. So why not? Mm -hmm. uh, mentorship, actually, uh, I, I mentored a number of protégés doing business, mm -hmm. but my greatest challenge and greatest success was my stepson. Um, oh, wow. In my uh, third marriage, um, mm -hmm. uh, he was um, a young man, 
the, the son, obviously, of my wife by a prior relationship. And he was in his mid-20s. He was a, a young black man living in mm -hmm. Jackson, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. He was uh, between a paraplegic and a quadriplegic. Mm -hmm. uh, every obstacle that you could have, that you could face, uh, he had. Uh, he was on meds. He did some recreational wow. drugs just wow. to kind of get from one day to the next. Mm -hmm. And I said, there's, there's got to be a way. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I really believe what worked for me can work for others, then mm -hmm. this would be kind of the ultimate test. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it took a while to convince him. And I didn't try to proselytize. I, I just planted seeds and said, you know, there's a possibility for a better life. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to be you. Mm -hmm. I can give you advice and suggestions, but it's, it's on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he committed to it and put skin in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, he first got off the meds. That took months. It was very painful to watch. Yeah. Then he, the one thing he liked to do, he played video games and was very mm -hmm. good on computers. So we decided a good tangible goal would be to start a computer repair service. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he did that. And uh, again, there were challenges along the way. Eventually became a remote troubleshooting technician. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, we were living in Dallas at the time. He moved up there because there were more opportunities than in Jackson. So mm -hmm. you have to make some sacrifices. You leave family was familiar to you behind. Mm -hmm. uh, he then uh, got a job eventually working <laughs> without any intervention on my part for uh, the uh, commercial brokerage company, mm. CB uh, Commercial, which mm -hmm. you see the signs everywhere here, uh, and became a troubleshooting technician. Then after that, he advanced to becoming a computer engineer, bought wow. his own yeah. house, achieved physical and financial self-sufficiency. And it's an amazing story. Yeah. Uh, did he inspire you into writing your memoir? Well, yeah, <laughs> yes, certainly his story. And it's, it, there is, you know, a chapter near the end and a number of mm -hmm. scenes that deal mm -hmm. with his story. Um, but I think what uh, I had taken writing classes and I'd written a few screenplays mm -hmm. and uh, decide, couldn't decide what I wanted to do next. Mm -hmm. I was working with a developmental editor and she said, you know, you seem to have had an interesting life and the people mm -hmm. you knew were mm -hmm. genuinely characters. Yeah, and they were. They were better than what I could conjure up in a fictional world. So mm -hmm. she said, well, would you ever think of writing a memoir? And I said, well, uh, it's yeah. kind of narcissistic. Uh, and then I said in a business bio, I mean, you know, uh, I'm not Elon Musk or Phil Knight. That's mm -hmm. been done. Mm -hmm. But if it, but if it was a true accounting, not just the business side, but uh, the raw and personal side, mm -hmm. then then there would be truthful mm -hmm. to myself, and that's that's how I wrote it. And it took mm -hmm. me three years. And um, you mentioned that later in life you returned to Ukraine uh, to discover your family roots. So how did you learn, and how does that apply to the world in 2021? Well, as you know, Ukraine was a republic in the Soviet Union until mm -hmm. 1990. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
I, I originally wanted to go with my, my parents, uh, but it was pointless to go uh, if you're just going to be shadowed by the KGB and restricted as to who you could talk to or what you could see. Mm. Uh, so after it became independent, then my dad got sick and passed, and then my mom got sick and passed. Mm -hmm. Then years went by, and it wasn't until uh, I was 60 years old uh, that I made my first trip back there. Cool. And it was quite an experience. And the, the long and short of it is uh, I found my roots. I found the actual home sites yeah. where my parents grew up. Mm -hmm. And I talked with old, old people who were still alive and remembered what had happened before and during wow. the war. And that was, and it opened my eyes yeah. that uh, Ukraine and this particular town where they live was almost the direct epicenter of the greatest mass killing of civilians in human history mm. by Hitler and Stalin. Wow, yeah. So it was, it was a sad story, but it just gave me more appreciation for mm. what I have. Yeah. So um, how did you deal with grief and recovery after you experienced um, a great personal loss? Well, uh, the greatest loss in my life and the most impactful event in my life was when my second wife passed. She was not only wife and lover, but uh, my spiritual mentor and moral wow. compass, uh, who without her direction, I wouldn't have gotten through what I needed to do in terms of overcoming addiction and, you know, the lifestyle that goes with, you know, making mm -hmm. money and mm -hmm. feeling like, you know, you're king of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so she, she literally dropped dead one night. There was no warning, nothing. Wow. Really? Yeah. And there is, let me tell you, there's nothing to prepare you for that. So it was, it was like devastating. And uh, uh, so my recovery, I would divide it into two periods. The first was the immediate days and weeks following the event. Ooh, and yeah. my first instinct was after, you know, we did a nice funeral and memorial service, uh, was to just pull the plug. Uh, but mm -hmm. my daughter, who I had a very close relationship with, kept calling attending to me. And I made the decision that there wasn't the time. I had responsibilities to her, to the world. And then uh, I had known an intuitive for many years. And she was instrumental in reconnecting me with my wife. Mm -hmm. And I found out that uh, love can survive physical death. And um. that gave me the strength to move on. Uh, in terms of the longer term, it was about trying to find meaning, you know, from this event. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've always been pretty self-directed. And I went to see a grief counselor, but she said I seemed to be doing well enough on my own to just mm -hmm. continue on that track. So I studied that and I squared away my worldview, my religious practice. Mm -hmm. I did Buddhist meditation. I studied Judaism, but eventually I came back to the practice of my Catholic faith That's mm -hmm. I was raised. So that was the long-term recovery. Yeah. So you mentioned three parts. So the first part would be immediate, you know, timing just right after. And then what was the second and the third part? Well, no, yeah, there, was, there were two parts. 
Oh, the, two parts. The okay. Immediate days, weeks, and mm -hmm. months following, and then the longer term, the sub subsequent years, mm -hmm. and the changes I made to my life as a result of that to try to be a better person. Yeah, you mentioned that love can survive the physical death. So, what what what's the definition behind it? Would you like to elaborate on that? Well, it's 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 kind of complicated, and mm -hmm. uh, I devote a number of chapters to the book because it was a seminal event. But mm -hmm. uh, it involved the psychic who I had contact with years before, and I was a hardened skeptic. And you know, I dealt in I dealt with some of the most creative, ingenious minds mm -hmm. and were experts at sleight of hand in the business world. So. I didn't just fall off the turnip truck, but I studied it and I uh, mm -hmm. came to the conclusion that there is uh, most most of it are what you see advertised as psychics, as kind of people without skills or running fraudulent enterprises. Mm -hmm. But there is a tiny, tiny percentage who are gifted. And I'm not trying to convince anyone. It's mm -hmm. just they can, they can provide in information through unexplainable means, which mm. I can't access in any other way. Yeah. And so I, I went with it. And that's yeah. been kind of the story of my life. Wow. I yeah. put my own skin in the game. I trust my visceral experience. I do my research. Mm -hmm. And then I follow my instincts. Mm. So, um, and it, it all depends what you believe to be true. If you yeah. believe that life starts at zero and ends at zero, Mm -hmm. And you're going to live in a certain way. Yeah. If you believe there's more to life than meets the eye, that there is the world of the unseen. Yeah, of course. And yeah. that your personality survives physical death, then mm -hmm. you're going to believe other things and live in a different way. Yeah. So it's like believing in the metaphysical world. Mm hmm. And you mentioned earlier that you um, started doing meditation, learning about different um, religions. Did you believe that doing meditation helps you into finding peace with what happened? Yes, uh, it, it was very helpful. Mm -hmm. it, again, a lot of what what's, what have historically for thousands of years have been um, religious practices so to mm. speak, mm -hmm. like yoga and meditation uh, have been commercialized in the present day and have kind of lost their spiritual moorings. Mm. So, but I, I did uh, Zen, Zen meditation, which is just detaching from thoughts in general. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Where the Buddha talked about the monkey mind, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. where all the monkeys are yeah, like your thoughts just constantly jam your head, and mm -hmm. it's just getting. And you can never get rid of them permanently. It just as they come, mm -hmm. you relax and you let them go without mm -hmm. thinking about them or giving them credence or anything. And that helps clear the mind, and you can find peace then that you can then apply to whatever spiritual or religious practices you have. Mm. And and not be burdened by you know the voices in your head. Mm. Um, I know your time is precious, so I like to end it with three questions. So the first one is um, I normally end the show with three questions. The first one is uh, tell me one truth that only you know. No, well, that's that's a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I uh, pretty much shared most of my secrets in mm-hmm. in the book. So, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it, uh, it's almost humorous. But one of the things probably um, few or no people know about mm-hmm. me is that when I was young and I started grade school, uh, I just started and I was I pooped my pants in first grade. <laughs> And it was awful because I just sat there for maybe an hour or two or more. Mm. So it was time to go home. And, you know, kids started looking at me. This, and mm. I just felt awful. Uh, and But I went home. My sister, older sister walked me home. And my mom helped clean me up. And it never happened again. Mm. <laughs> so it was, uh, it doesn't sound so serious now, but in terms of, vivid childhood memories it mm-hmm. ranks right up there yeah so, oh. okay thank you for sharing that and what does it mean to you to live a conscious lifestyle it well you you start out with what do you mean by conscious and the word conscious and i, I don't want to get too esoteric mm-hmm. uh, but I, i've kind of studied the subject for a number of years and uh in the book uh i devote several scenes to the work of Ernest Becker, who I don't know if the name registers at all, but he he won a Pulitzer Prize about 50 years ago uh, for a book called The Denial of Death. Mm-hmm. And he, he his thesis was that uh, the terrible bind that humanity faced is that we have conscious awareness, awareness of ourselves, awareness of others. And at the same time, we have the knowledge of certain death. And those two together impose a great burden and explain a lot of, at least from a secular perspective, a lot of why people do what they do. So then he theorized that we all create what he called immortality projects Mm. by trying to live forever in a symbolic world. And these have resulted in some of the greatest achievements and also the worst examples of human existence. And so to, for me, it's to, uh, to live and implement immortality projects, which have a transcendent purpose for the good. Mm-hmm. And uh, it may not be, it sounds a little weird, but it, it's what works for me. Mm. And uh, the final question is, what impact do you want to leave on this world? I think I'd like people to say, you know, this guy did more good than harm. Mm. And he left some footprints in the sand for others to follow. Mm. Something along those lines. And I think I'd like my epitaph to read graduation day, because one door closes and another door opens. Mm-hmm. And then the question becomes, what impact do you make in the next world? Mm, that's right. Yeah. And um, where where can we find your book? That's that will be the final question, actually. <laughs> it's available everywhere. The easiest place to go is to my website, mm-hmm. www.martinsawa.com. M-A-R-T-I-N-S-A-W-A.com. Mm-hmm. There you can buy the book with a click from a bookseller of your choice. Uh, you can find out more about it. Uh, you can look at some of my archived interviews 
and you can drop me a line in the little box at the bottom. Amazing. Thank you for your time, Martin. Thank you, Jay. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you're leaving feeling inspired to be your best authentic self.